0: life if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you you'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through you'll be set for life. in Nehemiah 10 and verse 1 now those who placed their seal on the on the document were, Nehemiah the governor, the son of, and I'm not reading the rest of that, because it is 27 verses of a lot of stuff I don't know how to say, and I just, my tongue just can't survive that. I'm too redneck, okay, too Texan. So this list of people that we have in 1 through 27, that is the list, the official record of the leaders of Israel, they wanted to get right. They realized we'd been gone for 70 years. Here's why. We fell into sin. We want to get right, and we're not messing around this time. And so they made this document. And each name in that list represents lots of people that were under them. Nehemiah 10 and 28. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Nethanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes. Okay, so they put their names on this agreement to seal it. And what they did was they entered into a curse and oath to obey God's law. Typically, when people made an oath to do something, it was two-sided. One side was the obvious oath of, yes, I will do this. But the other side was a curse that they also had to agree to. The point of this curse and oath is that if you follow God's law, then it was understood that they'd be okay, you're in good hands. But the curse is whoever does not follow God's law, then it was understood they'd be in big trouble. You know, you always hear the, the, the powder puff side. Just believe in Jesus and everything's going to be great and you'll be saved. There's not a whole lot of talk about the curse side that if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to a place called hell, okay, that's two-sided, curse and oath. So if anyone violated God's law because they were in a curse and oath, if they violated the law, nobody could say, oh, wait a minute, don't penalize me for this. It was already understood up front that the person in violation had to suffer the consequences of their actions because they entered a curse and an oath. Nehemiah 10.30, we would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. They understood the inter- intermarriage with pagans, with foreigners, those who were not an Israelite. That's what got them in trouble with God in the first place, because we did something God told us not to do. I want to show you again where that where that happened. What kicked the whole thing off was in First Kings eleven and one. It says King Solomon loved many Israelite women. It doesn't say that he loved many foreign women. The daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite, from the nations which Yahweh had said of the Israelites, you shall not marry them, and they shall not marry you. They will certainly turn your heart after other gods. But Solomon clung to them in love. He he had to have his sin. I love my sin. God said, don't do it. Well, I want it anyway. (laughs) So Solomon had that attitude, I don't care. And when Solomon did it, it basically showed the whole people, well, if Solomon did it, it's okay for us to do it too. And that's exactly what got them in trouble. And so now this is why the people made this specific point in their commitment in verse 30, that they pledged, we will not intermarry again with foreign nations because it was just too much temptation to worship their false gods. And then we're going to start the whole problem all over again. These are the guys that had just spent over 70 years in Babylonian captivity. They were not about to let anybody crank up that mess all over again. They were tired of it. We're not having this anymore. If you insist on doing it, face the consequences. We're not going with you. I gave my life to Jesus a long time ago. I'm going to follow him. I ask you to come with me, but I am not going to walk with you if you decide not to. I'm not doing it. I will not go back to that life ever again. Nehemiah 10 and 31. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. The Israelites realized that there were other ways that the foreigners could still mess them up. Even though we're not married into them, there's still ways they could interfere with their holiness to God. So they decided we're not even going to let business deals happen on Sabbath days. We're not going to marry with them. They're not going to mess with our holy days that we're supposed to set apart unto God. So they put a restriction on commerce with foreigners on these special days. It's going to be done God's way even to the point of skipping crop planting on the seventh year. We saw that they said that they were gonna, we would forgo the seventh year's produce. So they were going to do the Sabbath day and also the Sabbath year. And I want to show you where this comes from. Leviticus 25 and 3 says, Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. So you can't just constantly harvest year after year after year after year. You got to give it time to rest. Rains will come back. They'll put minerals back down in the ground. It'll revitalize that soil. And then you're going to have a better crop. If you keep pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, you're not getting as much produce out of it as you should. You should let the land rest. So when the Israelites adopted foreign pagan thinking, they got it through their intermarriages, it affected honest business practices. They started cheating people out of money. They were looking for every way they could to benefit themselves. Now, if you think of it, somebody that wants to make lots of money, skipping a whole year of crops, that's a whole year's loss, isn't it? If you're thinking just financially. But to the righteous Thinking, the one that was willing to follow God's law. They understood that God would bless them and He would make up for what the field did not produce on the Sabbath year. They had to allow the land to rest and revitalize instead of trying to squeeze another year out of it. They were going to have themselves rest and were also going to allow the land to rest, even if it meant missing a big paycheck. They had come to understand that the Lord God was their real paycheck. Friends, I want you to understand something. The Scripture says you cannot worship both God and money. You can't love both God and money. you got to pick one. They're learning to love their God again. Nehemiah 10 and 32. Also, we made ordinances for ourselves, to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbaths the new moons, and the set feasts for the holy things, for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses, at the appointed times year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. So they're going to get back to offering sacrifices again. They're going to get right on that. But we've seen the people agree here that business deals, trades, and agriculture was to give to the Lord's Sabbaths. What they produced, not just the land, but they themselves and their work, that was to give to the Lord God. I can really see the Israelites pledging to undo a lot of sinful practices that they had been doing for years. So they were commanded to give towards God's temple. There's a lot of things that went on in the temple, a lot of work. You've got to have all this finances to help the work of the ministry. And I want to show you Exodus 30, where that came from. Exodus 30 and 13, it says, this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, a shekel is 20 geras, the half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. So they're realizing, okay, we got to get our offerings right. I'll tell you guys, I was that guy for a long time that would go to church and not give. Or I would. I graduated up to the guy that would go to church and throw a $5 bill in the bucket and felt like I really did something. These people are like, <laughs> we've got to give to the ministry part of their walk with God. The, the temple work had to be done. We have got to get back to giving this shekel, this half shekel for the sanctuary. Now, half shekel offering for the temple, the priest could have money to work full time maintaining the, the showbread, it said, on the table of presence, And what was that about? That represented God's fellowship with man. So when you're friends with somebody, you break bread with them. And so having bread on the table of presence in there illustrated that God is always present with man. This bread on the table of presence that was to show that God is always present, always having fellowship with us, and he sustains us as a friend of ours that needed to be maintained in that temple so that the people could understand who their God is. So the people's giving was also so that the priests could perform offerings, which took a lot of time and it took a lot of skill. And so they wanted to be holy before God, so they had to pay the ministers in the temple, the priests, what they needed to put on the celebrations and the festivals that God told them to keep. In fact, we're going to see later in chapter 13 that somebody had to deal with this problem of the priest not being properly funded. People were not giving to the house of God, and the priests were suffering for it. Now, me as a pastor who does this full-time, first off, I don't get any more money if you put more money in the box. You'll notice at the end of every service, I don't go to that box. I have two people that go and account for every cent that goes in there, and they tally it up, and they sign on it and put it on a sheet. I am not allowed to go back there and go, hmm, what what went into the box? Because that's a temptation. It looks wrong for a minister to go back there and, and pocket some money, and nobody knows. I'm not going to get nowhere near that. So we have a system. I designed it in the rules of this church. The pastor does not touch that box. The accountants and, and uh, called people will go and take care of that money. They will account for it, and they throw it in the bank. I never see it, okay? I just get my paycheck, and it's the same every time. I just wanted y'all to be clear on the system I had put in place that, that's going to be in this church as long as it exists. But this was a problem back then. The priests weren't getting enough money. They were not being funded for all the the work they had to do. And I want to show you what damage it caused, because the priests were not getting the people's half-shekel offerings that they vowed, we need to start giving these half-shekel offerings. I want you to look at the problem they ended up in. Nehemiah 13 and 10 says, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them, for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? These ministry guys working here, they were not being paid for their wages. People just decided, I don't need to give. They just stopped. The selfishness took over. And as a result, the ministers weren't being paid. And so the priests were forced to go find other jobs. They weren't in the house of God anymore. And that's why it said it was forsaken. When the people stop giving, the ministers can't make their living. Then the house of God is forsaken. Then the people are not getting the instruction they need to live God's way, and then the whole society collapses from there and they get right back in trouble all over again. That happened to Israel back then. I see it happen today. I know there's megachurches out there where they got more money than they know what to do with, and I, that's kind of an issue in itself I won't even touch on, but I know a lot of pastors that serve congregations that they're not getting paid, and they end up having to run off and go back and get jobs. You see pastors quit the ministry and the first thing people do is they criticize them. Well, he should have stayed in it. He should. Was he being compensated for his time? That's what I want to ask. I get to do this full-time. i got a lot of friends that don't. They do part-time. They have to go find jobs. Then they try to crank out a sermon in the same week, and I really feel for them. They should be full-time ministers. But hats off to the Israelites. They recognized every potential problem that had to mess up their holiness with God again. They said, We have got to fix all these problems and get right with the Lord again. Okay, Nehemiah 10 and 35. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of all trees year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil, to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites. For the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities." See, what they're saying, the priests should be given what they need to do the work. They needed all kinds of stuff, all kinds of things to put on the, the sacrifices, right? To have the storerooms filled up so that when the celebrations hit, so they could do the, the sacrificial work, they're not required to go get this themselves. The people have to bring that so that the priest could then do something with it the way God instructed. That's up to the people's giving they're getting things right. And I want you to notice something here. The word tithe was mentioned, and I just want to address something real quick. I have caught more flack over the word tithe than almost anything else that I've ever had to deal with in this church. It's one of the top five big problems. When we do a giving verse and it has the word tithe in it, some people get caught up in this well, that was Old Testament. That was a tenth. And we don't, we're not bound by that anymore. And the- theologically, that's probably correct. We're not demanding a tenth. We're demanding what God puts on your heart. That's what God demands, is what God puts on your heart. It could be 5%. It could be 30%. I don't know. That's between you and God. We're not going to be legalistic and tell you that you have to put an exact amount and throw that in the bucket. There was a time recently we had a a verse up there that said something about tithe, and I got the most hateful, nasty emails that I've ever gotten from an individual that just raked me over the coals and told me I was a false prophet and I was going to hell and all this kind of stuff because I was trying to push legalism on the church. I just want to say, this is let's just put it in our context for today of giving, but at the time then, they were required to give a tithe. Okay, a tenth. Tithe is not the same as just your your giving offering. It's a very it's it's giving, but the tithe was an exact amount that they had to do according to the law. I just wanted to throw that out there so y'all understand I see a difference in this and I'm not throwing legalism on you. Give me your bank account and I'm gonna pull a tenth out of it, and that's what you're gonna do. I've had churches in the past before that wanted to see my bank statement so they could tell me how much I was giving them. We're not going to do that here. You give what the Lord puts on you to give, and we're going to let it be at that, okay? So they're getting right, getting, giving the first fruits of their crop and the firstborn sons and the firstborn of their animals. I know you saw that. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does this mean? Uh, those of you in here that have a firstborn son, okay, we get him. He needs to come up here. I got work for him to do. I'm just playing with you. Just playing with you. But what does this mean? Okay, well, if we understand that their shekels, their crops, and their animals were to be dedicated to the Lord's service, then we should understand their firstborn sons were to be dedicated to the Lord also. Exodus 3, 13 and 2 says, "...consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel of both man and beast, it is mine." Eldest sons were to be given to special service to God as the first of their produce. It's not just the first of the produce of your land, but of your children. This is how service work to God was kept alive and going. There's plenty of people around. There's plenty of resources around that we're reading about, both in crops and in finances, to be given towards the ministry work. Friends, when a whole society functions like this, the body of Christ is absolutely fantastic. It is incredible. I can imagine the the festivals they do. We did the best we could for tabernacles. You know, we put a little tabernacle up here and we had a hallway full of food. We did the best we could. But when a whole society does this, can you imagine how big that was? Man, I'd love to have been there for that. We already read that whenever they did not support the priest, then they had to leave and go find other jobs, which left God's house forsaken. And the Lord often reminded the Israelites how they should be blessed for their giving, as we see in Malachi three and ten He says, "Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this says the Lord of hosts, "If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it." God is saying, "I'll make up for it. Can you imagine the Jewish guy that was contending with the the temptation of money. Oh gosh, my whole crop. I got to put it off for a whole year. This is the seventh year and I can't produce. Man, we're going to lose out. God says, no, no, no. I'll give you better than what you would make if you went ahead and planted. So friends, it's kind of the same in our the idea today, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, just go ahead and give. And I'm not I'm not dressing you up for the box. Again, if you think that's the way I'm leading you, then don't give today at all. The Lord has to do it. But if the Lord says, I want you to give this amount, be assured he's going to make up for it better than what you put in. Now, I've had a friend say, well, you know, I don't need to give my money. Why does God need my money? Well, I said, that's the problem. You think it's yours. It never was yours. It's his. He wants to make you a giver to see if you're going to give. And if you don't give, well, you're not really fitting the Christian mold too well. New problems come with that. Curse and oath, guys. So the Israelites, they added this thing about tithing their giving and their offerings into their covenant agreement, that they would be committed to giving to the house of God because they recognized how first this giving was a command. They had to do it. I always capitalized on this. Those of you who were in the military, if your superior officers told you to do something and you said no, what happened? You probably got in really big trouble. The penalty was real bad, and you never told him no again. (laughs) So they realized God told them, you're going to do this. This is a commandment, so they had to do it. But also, they realized how vital it was in their relationship with the Lord. If we're going to walk with the Lord, we have to do what he says. And this is a big problem we have today, is people think they can do whatever they want, and that God's going to be just fine with that. You have to do what God says, if you expect to walk with him right. Nehemiah 10 and 38. And the priest, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse, for the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, of the new wine and the oil, to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. You see how tithing has to do directly with neglect. Not tithing is neglect of the house of God. I'm just telling you what the book says, okay? I'm not hurting for money. I'm not speaking out of desperation here today, okay? Don't misread me. I just want you to understand where they were in this. They said, we're going to do all this stuff. It has to be done, otherwise it's neglecting the house of God. So this was to help with the priest's needs for their work. But the final statement, we will not neglect the house of God. This was Israel saying, we are going to get back to doing things God's way. We realized how doing things our way is no good. I know every single person in this room who has been saved, you know any time you did things your own way, it never worked at all. It got worse. You had to do things God's way, and you find out there's a lot better blessing in that. That's what Israel is saying. We got to get back to God's way. The temple had been neglected, which is proof of a people who have neglected God himself. You know, most of the church these days in America is neglected. Most people who call themselves Christian, they don't go to church. It's just Church, just religion. I, I don't, I, I believe in God and all that, but I don't go to church. I hear that all the time. That's just a weak way of saying, yeah, um, God has to save me, but I don't have to do anything he wants me to do. It's pretty, it's, it's a weak statement. When people neglect their God, it's because sin distracted them away into worshiping other things.